They say, the harder the work, the greater the reward. This is our life's work. And welcome to another edition of the TDN Writers Room. I want to remind you, the TDN Writers Room is brought to you by Keeneland. Returning this November, Keeneland will offer a single session dedicated to racehorses on the final day of the November sale, which is November 17th. Well, it is about 101 on October 19th, less than two and a half weeks to go to the Breeders' Cup. Time to get excited. Randy Moss, can't wait. Can't wait. I've got files, boxes, notes, <laughs> everything conveniently hidden off camera here, all around my office, just doing all. You should put, I, I wish you, if you would let the camera look at it, people would be amazed the preparation you're going through for this. You want to see it? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, all right. Let's all right. See Hang it. on just a second. I mean, this is my, uh, <laughs> these are my Breeders' Cup oh, my files, goodness. right? And they include. You're old school. Uh, they include charts, past performances of every Breeders' Cup race that's been run so far since 1984. And then I've got stacks and stacks of past performances of this year's uh, contenders that are supposed to run. And I've been trying to, you know, watch videos and do research on the owners and so forth on the Europeans as well. As the Randy, that's old school. So, that's that's what I've been doing. Do, do you still get the TDN delivered to you by fax? Because that is too <laughs> old. <laughs> well, I've got my iPad here, Zoe, and I've got some stuff on my iPad. Yes, there you go. There you go. I like impressive that. Stuff, impressive stuff, Randy Moss. And it, it shows up, by the way, when you're on the air because you were so well prepared and everything. So uh, uh, we'll, we'll try not to take up your entire afternoon with the TDN Writers Room podcast today so you can get back to work to learning about who's going to run uh, a big race and be the surprising horse in the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mayor Turf to round out your superfecta. But anyways, before we get into Breeders' Cup talk, we'll have an awful lot about this. Uh, we'll start with Zoe because she is kind of our resident European with that beautiful British accent of hers. Uh, Zoe, what happened to Baid in, in the champion stakes? And I, I, I'll interject one thought here before we, we, we get to you. Um, it made me think a little bit about flight line because, you know, I think for sometimes we tend to take for granted that these are still animals, they can still have bad days, and there truly is no such thing as a sure thing. I'm not going to jump off the flight line bandwagon. I'm going to pick them. I wouldn't dare try to bet against them in the classic. But it was a jarring reminder that no horse is perfect and they can have bad days. What was your take on Baid? Absolutely, and I do believe firmly that you could have heard a pin drop at Ascot that afternoon when he was soundly beaten, beaten forth that day. We'll get to hear from Nick Luck a little bit later on, on his thoughts on Baid. But simply, the fact of the matter is, you can't beat Mother Nature. And there is a reason that he didn't go to the Arc de Triomphe because the ground was bottomless. The ground was not his liking. And in fairness to trainer Willie Haggis, who is just such a fantastic gentleman, he never blamed the ground, but the ground had an awful lot to do with it. He didn't get the cleanest of trips now. Like right from the offset, you could see Jim Crowley looking over his left shoulder, looking over, trying to get out and get this horse in the clear, who was about one to five that day. So not the best of trips. Didn't get out in time, perhaps. He usually has that lightning turn of foot, and the ground slowed that turn of foot down. So at the end of the day, he was soundly beaten. He was a fantastic horse. He still goes out a champion. He goes to Sturge and perhaps he's passed the banner to uh, Bay Bridge, who was absolutely stellar. Looks like perhaps he might be coming to the Breeders' Cup. But, I mean, it left just a little bit of sweet, sour taste in your mouth, having a horse go out like that. 
all the comparisons to Frankel. Now they don't have to worry about that because, you know, he's been beaten. But yes, like you said, it can happen to, to any horse. And I was gutted. I simply was gutted. I was really looking forward to seeing him win because everyone wants to see a champion go out like a champion. We all want Randy's to see that. Yeah, go, go ahead. Go ahead, Bill. Is the ground a legitimate excuse? Well, I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't know what that do you much. Think about about that excuse? Yeah, I'm giving it. But I tell you what, what, what I liked about the aftermath of that race was that Haggis and Crowley were such gentlemen they Absolutely. they weren't they weren't blaming they weren't they weren't coming up with excuses right uh, they were just very classy as classy as you could possibly be when you have a horse that's undefeated making the final start of his career and and goes down to a to a to a shocking defeat so I I really liked that part of it and to your point Bill we had an NBC production meeting yesterday one of many for the Breeders Cup and we were talking of course about Flightline and the Classic and I think. One of the producers on the on the calls said, uh, "You know, is, can this horse be beaten?" And I, had, I said, "Look at Baid. That's exactly the point that I made uh, about about Flightline. Baid proved that on any given day, it's horse racing, and even the heaviest favorites can lose." So Baid was not going to run in the Breeders' Cup no matter what happened, but there was a Breeders' Cup storyline in the Queen Elizabeth. And Randy, we'll start off for you this time. Modern Games, who won the Woodbine Mile so impressively, runs in the Queen Elizabeth II, runs a good race, but not the kind of race where you would say he was spectacular. A decent second. Do you think any less of him now going into the Breeders' Cup Mile off a defeat in this race? No, I don't at all, because when you look at the rating systems in Europe, when you look at the time form figures and you look at the racing post figures and the official horse ratings, in their opinion, modern games in defeat ran about as well and about as fast as he did in winning the Woodbine Mile at Woodbine. It's just the difference in competition that, you, that he faced at Woodbine compared to what he ran against. Uh, on Champions Day. So I don't think that uh, detracted from his reputation at all. I, I think he'll be uh, he'll be the favorite here. Uh, but what's interesting is that in a couple of the European uh, books that I looked at, Ken Ross is equal in, in one book, even a shorter price for the Breeders' Cup mile than Modern Games is. Ken Ross is the horse that won the champion sprint over there so impressively. And now he'll be stretching out from seven furlongs to a mile or from sprinting to a mile. Uh, so modern games won't be without competition. Yeah. I mean, Kinross stretching out the six furlongs of the bog at Ascot is going to be like a mile at Churchill. I really like Kinross coming over here. But the, the one upside from modern games is that he's been there, done it. He won at, he won at Del Mar. He won at Woodbine. He clearly is a horse that's definitely suited to the American style of racing. And Kinross has not been proven for that, basically. Now, uh, stateside, there were no preps for the Breeders' Cup. But if you have a grade one race on the grass uh, in this country, especially if it's east of the Mississippi, of course, Chad Brown's going to be involved. And he went, not only does he win the Queen Elizabeth Challenge Cup at Keeneland, he finishes 1-2, the lesser half of the Chad Brown duo, Gina Romanica beats McCulloch. And, uh, you know, we won't see these fillies in the Breeders' Cup, at least this year, maybe we'll next year. But I had another thought about this. So he's won this race for the fifth time. Uh, and he's won four of the last five years. Chad Brown is only 43 years old. 
He's probably going to be doing this at this level for maybe another 30 years or so. I think when it's all said and done, these races that he's won now five times, four times, six times, we're going to see him maybe winning 15 times, 16 times, the kind of numbers that are, are just inconceivable. I mean, even Wayne Lucas in his heyday didn't win any of these kind of races 15 or 16 times. Randy, you take it. Uh, Ch you know, Chad Brown never ceases to amaze. And sometimes I think we take his accomplishments for granted. I think that's exactly right. I, I think we do sometimes. We, we see it so often dominating these mostly turf races in not only winning, but sometimes running one, two, sometimes running one, two, three. Uh, sometimes running one, two, three, four. Two, three, four, as he did in the yeah. Diana earlier this year at Saratoga. Right. And we see him like a, a year or two ago. He has all these great horses that are going into retirement. And we think, oh, okay, he's going to be, you know, he's going to be down next year. No. No, he just reloads and these new superstars come rising through the ranks. This year, something that I went back and looked at uh, getting ready for the Breeders' Cup in my notes, right? This is remarkable. He has had 17 different individual female racehorses win stakes races on the grass this year. Of those 17, they won a total of 33 stakes races. 29 of those were graded. And eight were grade ones, female racehorses on the turf, 17 different individual stakes winners. Uh, it, and in the Breeders' Cup coming up in the Philly and Mare turf, uh, he'll have in Italian Rogier and Virginia Joy. He'll have Regal Glory going against the boys in the mile. There's four of the females right there. And another horse that's kind of flying under the radar, this is interesting, that he's going to be running in the Breeders' Cup mile, probably, he's seriously considering it, is domestic spending who hasn't been seen on an American racetrack in more than a year since running in the Mr. D stakes, the erstwhile Arlington Million, in 2021. But he's been training so well that Chad is seriously considering bringing him back against modern games in the Breeders' Cup Mile. And if it was anybody other than Chad Brown or Michael Dickinson, you would probably say, oh, this horse has no chance. But it's Chad Brown and it's domestic spending. So you never know. And, and he's and also, I mean, and, and this is the same year that he wins the Preakness with early voting. You know, people sometimes think he's just a grass trainer. He's not. I mean, he doesn't win as many races with dirt horses, but, you know, he's proven time and time again with Jack Christopher early voting, um, it, you know, and horses like that. He won the Champagne again this year. I think he's won that race four times or so in the last couple of years, last uh, four or five years. So, you know, he's not a one trick pony either, Zoe. Yeah. And getting back to Gina Romantica, that was his 200th career graded stakes win. So 200, if you think he first popped on the scene really 10 years ago, 200th graded stakes with Gina Romantica the other day. And just imagine what his win percentage would be like, guys. Think about this. He's got at least two horses in pretty much every race he runs in. So that's cutting down his win percentage. He wins at about 25, 30%. I mean, surely if he just ran one horse in each race, it would almost be doubled. Right. Yeah, good point. In in the race like the Diana, he can't do better than winning at a 25% rate because he's going to have uh, three losers. So uh, over the last couple of days, nothing gets us excited about TDN rising stars, horses that really look like they have a very bright future. Randy, I want to start with you on this. Julia Shining, the full sister to Malathat, comes out at Keeneland. She wins by two and three quarter lengths. Visually very, very impressive. She was climbing early. She was far back. Uh, she made a bold move on the turn to draw away. But, and this is the big but, the 71 buyer number. Well, you know, well, first of all, let's, before we talk about her performance uh, specifically, or in, let's talk about in general, 
When you see a very visually impressive two-year-old get a slow number, what do you make of that? Well, you always have to take speed figures and modify them by the way they were earned, whether they were earned with an easy trip that was advantageous or in the case of this particular filly, whether they were earned with a terrible trip. And obviously they could have run much faster with a better trip, right? And she obviously she was taking so much dirt in the face going down the back stretch. She was trying to climb over the dirt. She dropped back to last. She was very wide on the turn. She accelerated past the field. Having said that, though, you can't completely ignore the speed figure because what it tells you really, more than anything else, is that the competition she was beating was subpar for a Keeneland two-year-old Philly maiden special weight race. So... Clearly, she's got the pedigree. She should be a lot better as they stretch her out, right? I mean, she's a full sister to Malifat, who was just getting warmed up at that distance. So two turns, you know, being by Curlin is going to be in her wheelhouse as she gets more experience. Uh, if, if she had finished third, four lengths behind a normal maiden special weight race for that level at Keeneland, we'd be saying, oh, wow, this is a horse to watch out for. You know, this is a horse that might be pretty nice. Uh, as it was, she faced a very weak field and won, but she still is a horse to watch. Yeah, she was just visually impressive. And, you know, the funny thing is that she caught my eye right at the beginning of Saratoga. And I, I looked her up. I saw the name. I looked her up. And I'm like, wow, she's a full to Malathat. So I go back to the barn. And I'm speaking to Todd. I'm like, hey, let me see the full. And she's right there in the first stall by the office where all the good ones are. And just this big, rangy, beautiful filly by Carlin. And she worked a couple of times and she worked really good. And then horses go through growing spurts or for whatever reasons, they don't work as well. So pretty much for the rest of Saratoga, she she kept working and I was just like, oh, God, maybe lightning's not going to strike twice. She's just OK. I was a bit disappointed because I'd made such a big deal. She was like an XBTV work of the day. And I was like. And I honestly didn't realize she was in the other day. Otherwise, I would have like been just glued to the screen or actually asked Todd. I just thought maybe she'd been put away for a couple of weeks due to niggling issues. And so I think she just took a long time to come around. Maybe she had a growing spurt. Maybe she was just green as grass, which is what she displayed. And we spoke about this the other day with trainers not doing the old school. I can remember galloping horses and schooling horses behind dirt and sitting back there and just getting a face full of mud and teaching them. That's how you do it. And people don't do that anymore. They either work solo or they work head and head. It's rarely you'll see a horse taking dirt. So she exhibited all of that and was just so green. I thought she just ran terrifically. And, and I was delighted that, you know, I feel a bit adjudicated that Maybe she is a nice filly. Very good. Now, there was another impressive maiden winner in a TDN Rising Star who did run fast. Uh, a $1.35 million colt by the name of Extra Anejo, trained by Steve Asmussen, got a 92 buyer, Randy. This one, one by nine and a half lengths, certainly yeah. looks like the real deal. Oh, and, and Steve uh, said afterward that, you know, he's very high on the horse, as you would expect, and that, uh, you know, he can't wait to get him back. And he's not, he's not going to be in a rush with him because he's got so much uh, – in the pedigree department and the, obviously the talent department, but extra Anejo is a nice horse to watch for the future, by the way. Uh, this is extra Anejo in case you're wondering what extra Anejo is. I had a prop. Uh, it's tequila. 
But uh, the, what another little interesting side note about Extra Añejo, the owner, Ron Winchell, you know, right now he's not saying, boy, I can't wait to get this colt on the grass, right? All he's going to be thinking about is, is, is the Triple Crown. This horse has an interesting grass element to his pedigree as well, because his damn superiority complex is by Hardspun out of a Galileo mare who started her career in Europe with Sir Michael Stout, who ran in her 10 races, nine on the turf and one on synthetic at Woodbine, and who happens to be a half-sister to Islington, who won the Breeders' Cup filly and mare turf years ago. So extra now is obviously very good on dirt, but there is some turf in those genes as well. And you're stealing all my stick here, Randy. Oh, yes. Sorry. <laughs> Wait a minute. Did you, did you have the bottle? Did you have the bottle too that you were going to show everybody? Yeah, mine's empty. I mean, come oh. on. <laughs> serious. That was breakfast. I mean, come on, guys. <laughs> but um, they actually went over to Tats and bought this mare. A good friend of mine, Marette Farrell, works closely with Greg Goodman, and they went over there and bought the mare put her in foal to enter mischief. So, I mean, it was basically a Mount Brilliant Greg Goodman um, story here. They bought the mare. They put her in foal to enter mischief. They sold her at Keeneland, him, excuse me, at Keeneland for $1.35 million. So, I mean, the Goodmans breed good horses, and it really is a kudos to the breeding program that they have going on right now. And, hey, another enter mischief. Who knew? Yeah, isn't there? There's a news flash. Another instant mischief can run. Uh, also, there was a Sands Point at Belmont and Aqueduct, won by Skims, horse that looks like it's on the improve for Shug McGahee. And uh, Pizza Bianco, fourth in that race in her first start since running at Royal Ascot. I didn't think she ran that bad. She made up an awful lot of ground. She ran like a filly who's going to come on off that race and definitely needed the run. The TDN Writers Room is brought to you by Keeneland. On Sunday, Caravelle got her third graded stakes win in the grade three Franklin Stakes. And in just a few weeks, she'll go through the ring at Keeneland's November breeding stock sale. Selling in book number one, guys. Don't forget, she is hip number 224. If you want to get a little piece of Caravelle, the November sale has cataloged 3,698 horses and covers a total of 10 days. You better get your walking shoes on and it's followed by the horses of Racing Age sale on November the 17th. This is a standalone sale with 295 horses catalogued or noon Eastern. We'll be right back after this message from Keeneland. When the thoroughbred world descends upon Lexington this November, there is one place you need to be. The place where history comes alive with every championship victory. He's off the Dickendee! The place where the future is built with the fall of a gavel. The place that exists to be the heart of this industry. The center of it all. Home to the November breeding stock sale and 2022 Breeders' Cup, Keeneland. He was just put together like a machine, and he had a great mind. Everything about him was what you'd want. Tis the law, pops the cork in the champagne. Tis the law is going to win the first leg of the Triple Crown. I've never seen him get tired. Respect the law. Tis the law. His structure is just perfect. His bone is perfect. He's left the others behind. He's going to win the run, Happy Travers. He's everything you would look for in a horse. 
The TDM Writers Room is brought to you by Coolmore. Curly, Larry, and Mo became the latest winner for their star Motown at Keenan on Saturday. Do remember they also stand Justify. And Randy, is it hard to imagine as good as the progeny of Justify has been on dirt? They might be just as good on turf. He had a nice winner this past weekend at Nace. She won by 10, a daughter of Justify. Is it possible they could be better? It's an interesting thing to think about, Zoe, since Justify, of course, is the son of Scat Daddy, the Coolmore Stallion that's been such a tremendous turf influence during his uh, unfortunately brief uh, career as a, as, a, uh, as a stallion. Justify has some very interesting two-year-olds in training in Europe right now. Aiden O'Brien has one filly named Statuette that is two for two, and he's going to put her away for the rest of the year and uh, bring her back next year and point her for the 1,000 guineas. He says she's such a massive two-year-old filly, so big that she's got to grow into her frame. And that's why he's not worried at all about putting her away, uh, away for the rest of the year. And there was another trainer over there as well with a top-class two-year-old by Justify that said that he's seen several by Justify that show a lot of ability on the grass. But they all, even though they're two-year-olds, they all look like three-year-olds because they've got his physique, you know. So... It's going to be interesting to not only to watch these Justifies run on turf, but to watch their development from two to three. Because as we know, Justify didn't run as a two-year-old. Uh, he didn't make his first start until he was a little bit more advanced in uh, in early in his three-year-old season. Buffett's going to be pulling his hair out. You know, all of these horses are going to be turf sires. You know, you got American Pharaoh. He's thrown grade one winner after grade one winner on the turf. Now you're going to have Justify as well. What's going on here? Well, I'm sure Justify is going to do just well on just do fantastic on both surfaces. I'm a Shemp fan, by the way. He's definitely the most underrated stooge, if you ask me. So uh, interesting to see Curly, Larry and Mo out there and doing it. Hey, so from the uh, ridiculous to the sublime or the sublime to the ridiculous back and forth with the stooges, what whatsoever. Let's go on to another very serious subject. Kent DeZarmo, who has made headlines for all the wrong reasons over the last year or so, um, is soon going to be eligible to ride again. He had a 60-day suspension that was handed down to him by the CHRB. He served that now. Um, there's a couple other, I think, little minor suspensions that he's got to get through. But the latest development goes back to January when he was in Louisiana and arrested for domestic abuse and, and battery and, and a, a nasty incident. Uh, down there. Uh, Randy Moss, should Kent Zarma, I'll, I'll get right to cut right to the chase. Should racing welcome him back? Or is there time to say, you know, Kent, this is just, it, it's not three strikes you're out. This is 19 strikes you're out and, and uh, it's time to move on. Uh, yeah, I, I've got an opinion on that, Bill, if you don't mind. I, I Since sure. Zoe rode and she probably rode against people that had their share of demons that they were trying to overcome. What, what Where do you come down on this? It's it's a hard line. I mean, basically, in this day and age, anytime you put your hands on a woman, it's an automatic no-no. Back in the day, you could be suspended for all kinds of narcotics or anything you wanted. And like PVAL, you get a second chance and a second chance and a second chance. But this is something different. And I'm not sure that he's going to be welcome at an awful lot of places, even with no ruling against him. I mean, we've seen the so, NFL. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think each jurisdiction is going to have their own take on it. And, you know, we've seen people getting barred from separate racetracks with no ruling against them. And I think we're going to see perhaps some of the same, um, just 
because people are not standing for it anymore. Yeah, and I could see that. I mean, you look at the NFL and what's going on with so many of the NFL right. players. Uh, that you see suspensions. I mean, I mean, look at Deshaun Watson right now, right? I mean, that's not necessarily the same thing as Kent Desarmo's accused of, but it's it's definitely a transgression against women. And but you see suspensions, you see six month suspensions, year suspensions. You don't see lifetime bans. Um, you know, with me, with Kent, it's not just that, but it's alcohol as well that's thrown into the equation there. Um, and he broke I, his pact that he had with the CHRB. So he was basically treading thin water anyway. And that may be the straw that broke the camel's back. I, I can't talk on what's going to happen, but, um, you know, he was already treading treading on thin ice. Yeah, maybe I'm a little bit uh, too uh, uh, lenient about something like this, but if I was a steward, I would let him come back to ride um, unless he unless he was a repeat offender in the domestic abuse category. Uh, and I would also insist, as I think they are, on very robust testing uh, before he rides, I, maybe even daily testing. I don't know what the rules are exactly for that. And I wouldn't even be against uh, DeSormo or another rider in that situation having to pay the bill for their own daily testing to make sure that they're clean uh, when they go out there to ride. I'm not suggesting they can't ever rode under the influence, but obviously, you know, he's had his demons to uh, with alcohol as well. But I think it's, we have to blow everything. It's a tough call. It really is a yeah, tough call. Yeah, it is a tough call. Here's my take on it. First of all, um, once his suspension is up, the CHRB, he's clear and free. They're not going – they'll – they have no no more uh, right or justification once the suspension is up. Now, the Stronach Group, which owns, obviously, Santa Anita and Golden Gate, um, they on their own, there's a question whether or not they'll allow him to ride. They could bar him from it. The, the one thing, and I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way because by no means am I condoning anything that he's done. He's been a bad actor for a long time. And remember, before this, there was a, an incident where he uh, – issued a racial slur against a TVG cameraman. Um, you know, just just uh, just horrible stuff that he has done. But to the difference between a jockey and an NFL player is the to me is the NFL player works for the team. And Kent Desarmo doesn't work for the California Horse Racing Board. He doesn't work for First Racing or Santa Anita. He works for the owners. And to me, if I want to hire a plumber who has had been accused of domestic abuse, it's up to me whether I want to hire him or not. I think the onus falls on the owners and that it's their responsibility. So I would say let him back. But then I would well, say any owner that lets him house. ride for him. What's that, Zoe? Plumbing's happening in your house. That's another thing to take into consideration. If you're hiring the plumber, he's coming to your house and you own that house. Right. So... If you're talking about that, DeSormo's not going to your house. He's going to someone else's house. That's a, that, that's a good point. I, I do see that. But I do think it should fall to the owners to ultimately make this decision. Now, what owner in their right mind would ride him? Forget about you know the domestic abuse problems, but he's 52 years old. He's washed up and he hasn't ridden regularly. He is, Zoe. I, I mean, he hasn't been a productive, he hasn't been a major rider for years. And I don't see him, whether he's let back or not, having anywhere close to a productive career. Um, you know, he definitely has demons. I'm very sorry that he hasn't been able to, to conquer them. I wish him well. 
But I, one way or another, I don't think he has any. I mean, we're not going to see him ride in, in Breeders' Cup and Triple Crown races, no matter what. We're not going to see him ride in even in the San Diego Derby. He's going to be riding, uh, you know, one twenty-five to one shot a day. I, I think that's the best he can hope for. But to me, I think it ultimately maybe it should be left up to the owners. And and they're already voting uh, in that regard. I mean, Kent is clearly one of the most athletically gifted riders to come along in the last thirty or forty years, and I think. He's still capable of the occasional unbelievable ride. It's just that they're so infrequent now and it's so inconsistent. And I think a lot of owners uh, are of the opinion that uh, that the alcohol has diminished his skills. And so he's getting fewer and fewer and fewer mounts from owners. So I think owners are already uh, making their opinion known about DeSormo when you look at his business. It was disappointing. I mean, for a while there, he was doing really good. And when Kent's doing really good, he's great to be around. So, you know, I, I feel bad for all the connections in this because it was it was a disappointment. All right. So let's segue to a different subject. And uh, one of the best developments in horse racing, particularly when it comes to the horse player, is what they did in Kentucky, changing to the penny breakage. And at first you might think, OK, now a horse that was going to pay seven forty. Is going to pay $7.46. What's the big deal here? Well, it is apparently a really big deal because now there's reports that the breakage on win, place, and show only that doesn't include exactas or any of the, uh, the multiple race bets or something like that doesn't include harness racing, but a win, place, and show bets only in Kentucky has put $1.1 million since this started at the beginning of the Ellis Park meet, back into the horse players' pockets. Uh, Randy Moss, a great thing for horse players. Are we ever going to see any other states do this? I think it's a good thing for racetracks, too. When you have when you give a horse horse players collectively $1.1 million, what do you think they're going to do with it? They're going to yeah. turn around yeah, and put it back through the kind windows. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's the churn, you know? I mean, the reason why this didn't happen a long time ago is because most of the money back in the day – that was wagered in thoroughbred racing was wagered on track. And people would stand in long lines and sometimes get shut out at the windows. Well, imagine how many people would have gotten shut out at the mutual windows in the 1960s at Aqueduct if the tellers had to count out pennies when they were making payoffs, right? It was just so burdensome that no one wanted it. Plus, racetracks were making a lot of money and states were making a lot of money on the breakage. But now most of the money bet in thoroughbred racing is bet off track. It's bet from people betting on their computers at home or their smartphones, where cents don't matter. It's just automatically deposited into your account. There's no more excuse for racetracks and for states to take advantage of horse players with the breakage rules that are currently in effect in most states. I think it's long overdue. Three cheers to Kentucky and the people that were involved, Damon Thayer, one of those, for getting this thing done. And I think other racing states around the country should follow suit and pretty quickly. Yeah, I, kudos to that, too. I mean, I'm in full agreement. Pat Cummings, Thoroughbred Idea Foundation had an awful lot to do with that. And we need to support the guys, not only the owners, but also the gamblers that are putting the money through the windows, because ultimately that is the support that we need. So, you yeah. know, the, unfortunately, I don't see this happening in other jurisdictions because, you know, this is money. People that 
where this money goes, I'm not altogether sure, but wherever it goes, somebody's making an awful lot of money off of breakage. And you, you know, you talk about $1.1 million in Kentucky, you know, how much would it be around the whole country if they did this? I mean, I think that you're asking, you know, there's a greed factor here. People are making a lot of money off the horse players' backs. And you're going to say to New York, well, you're going to give up this money. Um, and the answer is probably going to be no. The TD and Riders Room is brought to you by the Pennsylvania Horse Breeders Association. As a trial for a possible PA bred claiming crown day next year, the PHBA will be partnering with the HBPA in Pennsylvania to run two starters for three-year-olds and up on Black Friday at Penn National. For those of you that don't shop, Black Friday is the day after Thanksgiving. Each one of those races will have a $50,000 purse, and that'll be along with their $200,000 Shamrock Rose Pennsylvania bred steaks for two-year-old fillies. By the way, a Pennsylvania bred by the name of Caravelle broke her maiden at Penn National. And Caravelle, of course, just got off a win in the Franklin Stakes, grade three at Keeneland recently in Lexington. We'll be right back after this message from the PHBA. Here in Pennsylvania, we're proud of our breeding program, the best in North America, but we're also proud to be leaders in this industry. The PA Horse Breeders Association is funding cutting-edge research at Penn Vet to detect gene doping in thoroughbreds, and we endorsed the SAFE Act to help protect the most vulnerable horses. Plus, we're pleased to support the aftercare programs set up by our horsemen's groups. Just a few of the reasons why you should join us in Pennsylvania, the premier place to breed and race. The TDN Writers Room is brought to you by XBTV.com. XBTV's workout of the week was none other than Cave Rock and National Treasure, the one two finishes in the Grade One American Pharaoh Stakes. Here you can see Cave Rock on the outside of National Treasure, and boy, boy, does he look good. The son of Arrogate out of the Bellamy Road mare. Georgie's Angel is a perfect three for three and will most likely be, or will be, the absolute favorite for the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. You can catch these works and many more only on XBTV.com. The Green Group, guest of the week, is sponsored by The Green Group, an accounting and tax consulting advisory firm specializing in the thoroughbred industry. They have over 500 clients in the horse business and have proven strategies to save you taxes. Learn more about how they can help you at www.greenco.com. And we're pleased to bring in our Green Group guest of the week, Nick Luck, a man of many hats among them, one of the commentators and hosts of the Breeders' Cup show, along with our good friend, Randy Moss. Nick knows a lot about a lot of things, but especially European racing as we reach him. At, it's uh, nine o'clock at night on a Tuesday over in England. Uh, Nick, first question for me, kind of a two part. You tweeted out earlier today the lineup for Charlie Appleby. You can just go over that briefly. And my question about the lineup and Appleby in general, how does he make it look so easy when he comes to the States? And listen, Bill, I, it's great to be with you, first of all. I, I think if you have the depth of talent that he has, obviously that makes it easier. But there have been plenty of high-profile trainers who've had the patronage of high-profile owners before who haven't done as, as well as him. Even Aidan O'Brien's you know, great record in the United States pales by comparison when you look at strike rate. So I think, I think it's probably one of the things that motivates Appleby most is finding the right opportunities for his horses. And if he has a whole bunch of grade one or grade two horses, finding where they fit best. And he likes to use the international calendar to exploit that. If he's got 
three dozen beautifully bred horses by Dubawi. He knows he can't target them all at the British Classics. And some of those, particularly the ones that have been gelded, they will find their forty. They'll find their natural metier running in those turf races in the United States. And he's just exploited that to a T. Then he gets them to get confident. Then they get better still. Then they, you know, modern games being a classic example. And he's a, a great team captain this year. So you're a man of many hats. You may be the only Brit I've ever seen that I've never seen in a hat. It's actually <laughs> worn a hat before. Uh, what, what are your favorite storylines from for the European horses coming over here for the Breeders' Cup? For this year, I think there's there's a few that stand out, but they're not necessarily in the most high-profile races. I think Highfield Princess is right up there as one of the great storylines because I think she in the turf sprint against Golden Pal is one of those races where you can genuinely say the best American in his or her division versus the best European in his or her division, both with brazen speed, one probably on the up, the other arguably on the downgrade, one in their backyard, the other trained by someone who has very few international runners or, or runners at this far afield. So I think that sets up as a perfect clash. Uh, cool more ownership on one hand, uh, slightly more blue collar origins on the other. It's got everything that a, that a Breeders' Cup registered have. So I think that's one of the, the best European stories. There's plenty others running through there. People will focus a lot on Holly Doyle, the most successful female jockey there's ever been in Europe, a groundbreaker, someone who's really threatened to shatter the glass ceiling more than any other female rider has before. She's got meaningful chances on the Platinum Queen in the Juvenile Turf Sprint, but more high-profile ride on Nashua in the, in the Breeders' Cup filly and mare turf, a race that will test her a little bit more against some of the best American turf riders. So we'll see what she's, she's made of tactically there. I think those are, those are two really interesting storylines. The turf is, is absolutely loaded. The mile, I think we were discussing earlier, Randy, just if you're looking at a race that you're looking forward to, wow, one of the deepest editions of that I can remember for a long time. You get editions of that where you've got a, a, a marquee horse like a, a Wise Dan or a De Haas that everyone's looking forward to seeing. But to have the depth of talent in, in, in that race, I, I think is, is terrific. Yeah, Smooth Like Straight was a half length last year, and he's like seventh on our list. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I can see what you mean. Exactly. You know, and, and you know, modern games would have, I think, been a very heavy favorite. And then he's managed to throw a few ball bearings across the, across the dance floor by running just all right on Saturday. And you're thinking, well, should they have run him? It was soft ground. Does that, does that let Kin Ross in with a shout? Does that let Annapolis? I was really impressed with him in the, in the Coolmore Mile for a three-year-old with such little experience. Who is the most logical favorite coming over from Europe? I mean, who would you say is is the lock, Nick? Do you have one? I don't think there's a lock, but I think there are some there are some logical market leaders. You know, I I personally believe that Modern Games is a very logical market leader, even though he just got beat at the weekend. And Randy and I were discussing it. You know, some books have Kin Ross as the favorite in the Breeders' Cup mile, but you don't know whether he can stretch out. Now, people often say, well, an extended sprinter can go a mile in the US, but it's you've still got to run eight eighths of a mile. It doesn't matter whether it's around a flat, firm oval or whether it's up a straightaway with cut in the ground. You've still got to run run the same distance. So uh, I think Modern Games is a, is a worthy favorite in the mile. I would say that Nashua is a is a, a very clear-cut favorite in the, in the filly and mare turf, to be honest. That nine furlongs should be boldly ridden. She's not a filly who stops. That should be ideal for her. The, the interesting thing about the, 
the short two-year-old race where you've got Blackbeard, the very, very good two-year-old of Aidan O'Brien's for all he's a bit quirky, and the Platinum Queen who you know, beat Elders the other day. They're running up against Tyler's tribe. So that, that again, that could be, that could be pretty interesting. Some you spoke to him as well. Thing. Shameless plug for your podcast, but I, I listened to it this morning and I, we all spoke to him as well. He's a fabulous, fabulous guy. I'm wishing him the best of luck. Who, Tim Martin? Yeah. Yes. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know him at all. I, I've only known what I read. And obviously, as you know, Zoe, I wouldn't have got his, his contact details unless you'd given me his phone number. So <laughs> I like to think this is all a, this is all a great mutual back scratching exercise. But I think I don't, I don't care where you're from in the world. You look at that race. I want him to win. I just think it's it would be just so good for the sport. Yeah. Such a great story. He's not for sale. He's five for five. Jockey breaking through. Trainer that might have been training since 1985, but the rest of the world hasn't heard of him, even if the even if Kentucky and the Midwest has, you know? Hey, um, Nick, I want to go back to Highfield Princess because to me, she's, like you said, one of the great stories of the Breeders' Cup. It seems to me up to a certain point in her career, uh, she was just a good horse. All of a sudden, she's won three in a row. I saw someone said she's the most improved horse in all of racing. What's her story? Where did she come from? Well, she's at homebred. She's actually got a pretty good pedigree. I used to work for her owner, John Fairley. Uh, he's mm-hmm. a, a guy now. He's well into his, his ninth decade, but he an uh, unbelievable pioneering TV executive. And he was part of the consortium that started Channel 4 Racing with his independent production company. And he's always been a huge enthusiast for racing and breeding based up in New Yorkshire. And he bought a racing stable uh, in the mid-2000s. And he installed the trainer, John Quinn, another guy who I have quite close associations with because I've always had the odd bit of a horse in his yard. Some have been okay. None have been anywhere near as good as Highfield Princess, sadly. And John Fairley bought the dam of Highfield Princess in foal to Night of Thunder for 18,000 guineas. And he immediately got a massive pedigree update because the, the foal that Godolphin raced, Card Sharp, ended up being a pretty good horse. So immediately she's worth a lot more than he paid. He puts this filly into training. She's by a stallion that nobody was interested in called Knight of Thunder, who's now one of the elite sires in Europe. So every bit of luck absolutely fell his way. She started off humbly, running in low-grade handicaps. She just took a while to get the hang of things. She never races a two-year-old. And then... Cutting back in distance was where she really started to find her stride. We knew she was good when she won at Royal Ascot as a, as a four-year-old, and then she just kept, kept progressing from there, and, and she's now a, a triple group one winner. And the other great thing, of course, is normally you get sprinters come to the U.S. They've not been round a bend. She's had a ton of, ton of experience running round a left-handed bend. She's done a lot of winning at Chelmsford, so I'm not too worried on that score. So I got a question for you from, uh, from 35,000 feet, so to speak. Uh, obviously in America, as soon as the Triple Crown is over, everyone turns their attention to the Breeders' Cup. Mm-hmm. And one of the keys mm-hmm. to the Breeders' Cup success uh, since it was you know, inaugurated back in 1984 has been the international, mainly the European participation. But now you've got British Champions Day. You know, in 2022, I mean, how has the attitude towards the Breeders' Cup by owners and trainers over there uh, changed, if at all? See, here's what I think. I think more trainers are inclined to have the Breeders' Cup on their radar for a greater variety of horses. But it is not necessarily the absolute destination of choice for every champion like perhaps it was. I think that's where the differential is. Um, But we still had Enable fairly recently. We still had Golden Horn fairly recently. We still had Found fairly recently. 
So it's not as though you can't get a genuine champion. But I think there was a time where the Breeders' Cup was the de facto destination for a horse that had really excelled in Europe. But what you are getting now is a much broader spread of trainers, a broader spread of horses. And it is still very much uppermost in people's minds. The point about whether British Champions Day would impinge on runners coming to the Breeders' Cup, well, hello, let's look at it this year. You've got, I mean, ignore the staying race because nothing's going to come from that. But the sprint, you've got Kinross, one, easily, is coming for the mile. Creative Force ran great again, contender for the turf. Bayside Boy springs up out of nowhere, wins the QE2 at 33 to 1. They're now saying he's going to get on the plane, or at least he's having his tests done and everything as though he's going to get on the plane for the mile. And Baybridge, lo and behold, if you'd said to me a week ago, Baybridge comes to the Breeders' Cup turf, I'd have said, absolutely not. But they're all, they all seem to be up for it. So it, I don't think it's, it doesn't appear to have detracted or, or um, taken anything away from, from the Breeders' Cup at all. In fact, it, it might have even added a few 11th hour horses who've suddenly started to bloom. Nick, what's the feeling with Bay Bridge and the whole Baid on Champions Day? What is the general sense of the feeling over there? And are they both going to come, the two new bays? Are they, are they both coming with John Bayside, O'Connor? Bayside Boy and Bay Bridge. I think, yeah. I think they are being prepared as if they are coming. And then they'll work their way towards it and see what happens. You know, see if the, if the horses have come out of it well and see see whether they think ground conditions are going to be suitable. I think both horses would want a bit of a bit of cut in the ground ideally. They'd want to see some moisture in the in the long range forecast. Um as far as Baid is concerned, obviously there was a, a significant sense of deflation because I think the whole you know, European racing world, the whole racing world wanted to see a performance that would you know set the seal on an, on a on a blemish-free career. And I think the fact that it was his last race and he was defeated in his last race, made it all the more disappointing because they'd built to this point in such an exaggerated way. It felt like a big legacy play. The fact that he was having exactly the same final five races that Frankel had had in 2012, it, it had all those, it was a rather kind of portentous buildup. So you didn't just treat it like another horse being beaten in another race. Well, okay, he can win another one around the corner and his reputation isn't that diminished. So I think that's why there's a sense of deflation. I think give it a few more days, give it a few weeks, people reflect on his career in the round, realize he was an absolutely brilliant racehorse and no reason why he shouldn't make a, a fantastic stallion. But, you know, I'm, I, there's no doubt it, it was disappointing. God, I'd, I'd love to have seen him at a, at a Breeders' Cup, in a, in a Breeders' Oof. Cup mile or, or even in a, well, maybe not in a, maybe not in a classic with flight line in, but, um, <laughs> but you know, I... I, I Let's not let's not be silly, but you know, I'd like I'd I'd love to have seen him seen him travel, but yeah, you know, William Haggis has been a great sportsman in defeat. And the one thing I loved was that he was in he was disinclined to attribute the performance simply to the ground. And I think that's right. He he was running yeah. he, he was traveling, moving nicely, made the ground up, and then looked like a horse who'd gone over the top and had had enough of the year. Nick, even though I'm the president of the Tyler Stripe fan club, this Platinum Queen, uh, the Platinum Queen really intrigues me because mm -hmm. in the U.S. we don't have this. We don't, not only we don't have two-year-olds even running 
against ever against older horses, let alone winning. Um, to me, if you look on paper, wins a group one over older horses would make this horse almost just a, a sure thing in the, in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Sprint. But is there more to the story? You, you know, is this horse so imposing that the American horses like Tyler's Tribe or even the other Europeans coming over uh, should be wary of this horse? Uh, I have huge regard for the Platinum Queen, but I, I, I'm not, I wouldn't want to launch into her at short odds in this race for, for a few reasons. Well, first of all, you, you have to remember that her, her two excellent runs in, in group ones, uh, have, have come receiving a, a mountain of weight. I think was she getting 24 pounds at York and something similar in uh, Paris Longchamp. So it, it's just a huge weight concession. The older right. horses have to give her and as a filly as well. So she gets this monster age allowance and a sex allowance on top of it um so that that's something you've got to factor in so it's not like she's beating older horses on the square um you know if she were then she'd be one to nine in the in the breeders cup juvenile um turf sprint but she's not she's getting a huge allowance in the races here they're the only two races you can run second she's just done all her she has done all her racing in a straight line um and this is going to be something different yeah, she just she got a bit unbalanced at York, and York's York's a track that you shouldn't really be getting unbalanced on, and that does concern me a little bit. Just how she's going to rail, how she's going to handle a bend. I think it'll be a big test against some, you know, against your Tyler's tribes of this world who are gonna who are gonna take her on for the for the lead. Yeah, she's not going to get an unharried time of it. I don't think. What is the thought over in Europe? coming over to basically want to see Flightline and the American contingent. I mean, do people hold him in high regard or is he just another fast American dirt horse or are they hold him in the same esteem that we do over here? You know, I'd like to think that the message is permeated. You know, I, 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 I still think that in, in all of our countries, we're, we're a bit parochial. Um, <laughs> and, and, and don't look outside that much. But I think people who people who love horse racing in this country, if they've seen uh, footage of Flightline, they are. It will definitely make them turn on the TV when he runs in the Breeders' Cup Classic. Uh, I think that America's Best Racing and uh, Breeders' Cup have been doing some great promotion of the horse. And I, I in our in our own small ways, I, I think we've been banging the drum as much as we possibly can that this is. This is genuinely something a bit special. This is once in a generation stuff. It's you know when you get a guy like Jay Pridman who's watched basically every single race run at Del Mar for the last fifty odd years, then <laughs> and he says he says it's the single best performance he's ever seen on that track. Then everyone sits up and takes notice. This isn't this isn't hype for the twenty first century. This is this is the real deal. So uh, I hope I hope it engages people as much as it's engaged us. Well, some great insights from Nick Gluck. You can, of course, catch him on the Breeders' Cup telecast along with our good friend Randy Moss and co-panelists. Nick, thanks so much for your time. Enjoy the Breeders' Cup. Bill, thanks very much. Obviously, you know, I know, everybody knows that Randy taught me everything I know. Checking out. <laughs> That's what he tells us all the time, by the way. True. It's the truth. It's getting pretty deep in here, Nick. Thank you. <laughs> thanks, Nick. Thanks, Nick. The Green Group Guest of the Week is sponsored by The Green Group, an accounting and tax consulting advisory firm specializing in the thoroughbred industry. And as this week's Guest of the Week, Nick Luck will receive a free one-hour tax consultation. I know for a fact that Nick owns a broodmare and he makes a lot of money, so tax consulting could really be good 
for Mr. Luck. Learn more at www.greenco.com. We'll be right back after this message from the Green Group. Why do the most successful owners, breeders, and horsemen select the Green Group as their tax advisor? We simply save them money and know how to make them more successful. Over the past 40 years, founder Leonard Green has owned and bred some of the best racehorses in the history of the sport. His in-depth, hands-on industry knowledge, combined with cutting-edge tax-saving strategies, has produced positive results for his clientele and has made the Green Group the top-rated accounting and tax firm in the business. For a confidential and complimentary consultation, contact us at 732-634-5100 or visit our website at www.greenco.com. The Green Group, proven strategies to save you taxes. Backstretch workers are the backbone of the thoroughbred racing industry. Without them, racing would not be possible. The New York Racetrack Chaplaincy provides vital programs and services to all the workers and their families, like sponsor a family, the food pantry, as well as other recreational activities and events. You can help by visiting our website and donating today. Every dollar makes a difference to those who give everything to the sport that we love. And now it's time for the weekend preview brought to you by Three Chimneys. We're not only going to look at the this weekend. Again, it's kind of quiet with no big races coming up so far as preps for the Breeders' Cup. We're also going to take a look at a couple of the Breeders' Cup races, give you some more thoughts on that uh, as we go down the action, uh, what is going to take place at Keeneland in two and a half weeks. At Aqueduct on Saturday, Belmont at Aqueduct, the Hill Prince, and the Noble Damsel are on the scorecard. They're graded races on the turf. And the Maryland Million will be run this weekend at Laurel. But I think, uh, Zoe, the most interesting action of the weekend is taking place at Keeneland. First of all, the Keeneland uh, is featuring the Raven Run, Sakes Alexis Raven Run, a grade two race. Very interesting horse in there in Fingal's Cave, trained by Dave Dog. I'm really interested to see how this horse does. Uh, four for four, an undefeated New York bred, but has never faced off against open company before. What do you know about Fingal's Cave? Well, she's a very good filly indeed, and I actually got a chance to speak to Dave Donk about her. Um, there are a lot of nominations in here because she's a New York bred and she's purely won her earnings in restricted racings. races. Those don't count, but I'm pretty sure she's going to get in. Dave's pretty sure she's going to get in, so that shouldn't be a problem. And speaking to Dave, he's not scared about facing older. Uh, shameless plug to my good friend, Marette Farrell, who purchased this Carpe Diem filly for not much money, just 75000 at the OBS April sale. And she's done nothing but win ever since. Short, long, muddy, fast track. She's tactical. I personally think she might be a better filly around one turn rather than two. Her owner, Ali Fife, is a Scotsman, a good friend of mine, a guy with the best shoes you'll ever see in your life. You see some guy walking around Keeneland with a fancy pair of shoes on, you can bet your life. It's Ali Fife, and he's a guy who's put a lot of money into the game, and this most definitely is his best filly. Originally, she was purchased from Sequel, um, Sequel Stables at the OBSL. She was named Out of Money Honey, which we thought was a great name for her, and uh, I think Ali's wife liked it as well, but Ali didn't like it, so he renamed her Fingal's Cave, and it's, it's proven to be good. Not bad luck at all. And she'll have to deal with Wicked Halo, a winner of three straight races, including the grade two priors. Now, uh, caveat, we're, uh, we're giving these horses out and talking about these races 
before the entries are drawn. So if uh, one of these horses doesn't show up in the race, don't blame us. We're just trying to get our schedule done and get everything done in time. Also, Saturday at Keeneland is the Perryville. The obvious favorite in there will be Gunite, the winner of last year's grade one hopeful. Surprisingly, this is not a graded race. Um, certainly looks like on paper and the type of horses lining up for that should be. But Artorias is in there as well. Remember, this horse won the Curlin Stakes, came back in the Travers, ran sixth, uh, has been had a freshening for Chad Brown since the Travers. Zoe, what do you know about Artorias? He runs well fresh and he's a big, beautiful looking son of Arrogate. You see this here? It's Arrogate right there. That's the World Cup right there. Big, beautiful son of Arrogate. Most recently worked with Jack Christopher. So keeping the best company in the morning for Chad Brown. And he's he's got to be one of the favorites going in there. Would you not think, Randy? Yeah, I'm, I'm a little surprised that uh, that Steve Asmussen didn't run Gunite in the Dirt Mile. He was originally considered to be one of the contenders for the Dirt Mile. And I thought he would at least be in with a shot because he's in outstanding form right now. So a little surprised that he's going in this race instead of the dirt mile. And one more note, something you said earlier, if you see anyone walking through Keeneland with a pair of fancy shoes on, it will not be me or Bill. <laughs> That's for sure, yeah. Yes, including, as long as you don't think 1999 Walmart specials are no. fancy shoes. And it won't be Lucy either, right? No. Yeah. Hi, Lucy. The TD and Writers Room and the Weekend Preview is brought to you by Three Chimneys. Shark Azteca got his third stakes winner over the weekend with Alma Rose who won the White Clay Creek Stakes for owner-breeder Gelfenstein Farm. We're looking forward to watching another member, another two, actually, of Sharp Azteca's first crop, Tyler's Tribe and Sharp as Attack, who are both being pointed now for the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint in two and a half weeks at Keenan. We'll be right back for part two of the weekend preview after this message from Three Chimneys. Comes Tama. Tama in the center of the track with good looking stride. Squares off with Cyberknife. Cyberknife takes the lead. Tama going with him. These two in a thriller. Cyberknife just in front. And Cyberknife has won the TBG.com Haskell over Tama. Jack Christopher finished third. The running time, 1 minute 46.24 seconds. Come, dream with us at Three Chimneys. Well, Randy, last week we gave Ed DeRosa's line for the Breeders' Cup Classic, and he had Flightline as an obvious favorite in there. Zoe, before we get Randy's take on what the morning line will be on the Classic, you were there at Santa Anita on Saturday. I've heard nothing, but what else would you expect? But glowing reports on Flightline's workout. What did you see? Well, if you didn't see it, you can watch it again on XBTV.com. I'm just throwing in these shameless plugs all the way through (laughs) here. But again, you didn't see a lot, to be perfectly honest. And John Sadler simply said that next week he's liable to go at 7.45 because it's getting darker here in the mornings. If you watch the work, you're basically just going to see some lights. It looked a little bit lighter in person, and he did it very easily. One labor, I bought him once more. Uh, Officially, I think he went in 1.11.4 and out in 25 and change. So a very good work time-wise. But this is his penultimate work. So um, actually, no, he's got two more works to go. He'll have one more, probably 7.45 on Saturday, and then one at Keeneland, which will basically just be a once-around, gallop-around feel of the racetrack. He looks super. I mean, I went back to the barn and saw him. It's so funny, his groom, Renee, holds him out there. Literally at the end of the shank. Now, if I was John, I might be a bit worried that the world's best horse is 12 feet away from his hot walker there, but he'll just stand there and watch 
horses go by or watch the birds flying through the sky. He's just a cool dude to be around and just a really cool horse. Now, Randy, you made him three to five in your line. I was trying to find if there was any betting started on the Breeders' Cup Classic. Uh, Betfair has opened up uh, an anti-post wager on it. Very little money in the um, pool uh, so far, but they have him at seven to ten uh, trading right now at 70 cents on the dollar. So uh, I see you made him at a flight line at three to five. And that looks like, you know what? I, I'm thinking that's the right line. But at the end of the day, we might be saying that was a bargain. Yeah, I'll I take mean, that one now. I mean, three to five, I think, is pretty legitimate, in my opinion. I think that's what Ed DeRosa had him as well, if I'm not mistaken, given the competition that he's facing, right? I mean, he's got some pretty good horses he's lined up against. You know, of course, those horses haven't done anything like he did in the Pacific Classic, but there's nothing wrong with Epicenter or Taba or Life is Good. Those are pretty solid horses. If you believe that, of course, Paramutuals, as you all know, if you believe that Flightline is going to go off at a shorter price than three to five, say one to two, or two to five, then you can take those other horses and raise them a tick. Uh, but if for some reason you don't like flight line or you want to bet against flight line, uh, you have no shortage of options and you'll definitely get a decent price. Now, obviously, the classic is going to dominate the conversation as it is today and is going to be throughout uh, the, the weeks leading up to the Breeders' Cup. But I got to tell you guys, the Breeders' Cup distaff is a terrific, terrific race in there. Um, Randy, what did you make? Who did you make the morning line favorite in the distaff and why? It was tough, Bill. Uh, be, between Nest and Malafed, I'm pretty confident, obviously, that the favorite, the betting favorite is going to be one of those two uh Todd Pletcher trained superstar females. It's just tough to figure out exactly which one is going to take the most money. I mean, Malafat was narrowly beaten in the Breeders' Cup distaff last year, and she's hitting on all cylinders right now after that win in the spinster and then before that in the, in the personal incident. And Nest is just dominating every field that she runs against in the three-year-old Philly division, albeit against lesser competition than Malafat has been facing. In the end, I made Nest two to one and Malathat five to two. But again, in the distaff, you talked about how good the field is. Search results was just beaten a half length by Malathat in the personal incident after having a clear lead in mid-stretch. Uh, and they were, the, they were the same price in the personal incident. They were both at three to one. So you know search results is going to get play. Uh, Clarier was the favorite over Malathat the last time they ran against each other. She laid an egg last time out, but with a potential excuse in the starting gate before the race. And there's nothing wrong with society. You're going to get five to one or six to one on society, who, if you look at the past performances of this race, is probably going to be cruising along on an uncontested early lead. Nest has very little early speed. Malathat has even less than that. You don't think search results is probably going to want, they probably don't want to go out head and head with society. So society's probably going to control the pace. And given the way she ran her last two starts, that makes her very dangerous. What a race from top to bottom, the distaff, Zoe. Um, I love society. And I think you've hit the nail right on the head. She is absolutely going to be cruising. She's gun runner, right? Yes. She gun runner? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that. Another gun runner. Um, I like her. I honestly think not enough has been made of Clarier bashing her head in the gate as she, as she did last time out. And I think anytime you hit your head that hard, I just toss out the race completely. So I think we're going to see a much better version of Clarier. And don't forget, she's already beaten Malafat. So if you're just tossing her out on that one race last time, uh, 
I'll, I'll take all the money I can on Clarier. Yeah, I think Zoe, I I'm with you. She's the, she's the forgotten horse in this for the very reasons that you said. I mean, people are talking about Malathat perhaps being the favorite. But Randy, I think you're right. I think Nest will be the favorite. But Clarier at nine to two in your line, that's the bargain to me. That's the value because she beat Malathat on the square twice this year before she had that uh, incident that happened. It obviously cost her personal lines. And Steve Asmussen is a trainer. You know he's going to have her ready. I think she's very, very dangerous in here. And she came back to Zoe's point about hitting her head in the gate. She came back with a, a, a tongue that was cut and bleeding. Um, right. You'd have to think. I mean, I'm not much for excuses, for trainer excuses. You know, horses bite their tongues or things like that, you know, and they typically run their race anyway. Uh, but you'd have to think that given the fact that she ran so far below the form that she had been running running combined with what happened to her in the gate, you'd have to think that that's a legitimate excuse. Now I, I said, I've made it two to one and five to two. I think it was it's two to one for Nest, three to one for Malathat, but it, it's going to be close one way or the other. I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty. Ideally she probably should have been backed out of the gate and, and taken a look at, but hindsight's twenty twenty, and she ran the race and that was not the Clarière at any point in the race. I mean, not one point in the race was that the filly that we've seen before. So to me, I just draw a line through it. The TDN Writers Room is brought to you by West Point Thoroughbreds. Joining a West Point Thoroughbred partnership could launch you right into the winner's circle for basically half the cost. Now, last week, West Point had a promising juvenile winner last Friday, with Signator, who was a $1.7 million purchase for West Point Thoroughbred and their partners this past April. Randy, did you happen to see Signator 1? Because if you're in West Point, $1.7 million goes a long way. You could probably have got in there for $500 if you wanted. I missed Signator's race, but if I was one of those investors in West Point, I definitely would have been, I would have had my nose up to the monitor watching that one with $1.7 at stake. And one of the interesting things about Signator is that much has been made about Flightline's female family through the damn feathered as, as being a one of those blue-blooded Ogden Phipps female families, Phipps family. The same thing with Signator. First damn pension. Uh, second damn furlough. If you remember furlough, she won the ballerina. Third damn blighty. Fourth damn all the way back to Lady Pitt, who was one of the original Ogden Phipps blue hen blue uh, mares. Uh, a very talented racehorse, really, Lady Pitt. So a lot to like about the pedigree of Signator, which is why Signator brought $1.7 million. Absolutely. Signator by Tappet became the 50th TDN Rising Star. We'll be right back with this message from West Point Thoroughbreds. All the thrills. Fraction of the bills. Experience the power of the partnership. Change your life, make new friends, and compete at the highest level of thoroughbred racing. West Point Thoroughbreds, the gold standard in racing partnerships. Visit westpointtb.com. Being a small family business, I guess we're part of a dying breed. We're really grateful for the people that entrust us. We know it's a huge responsibility. We're always with your horse every step of the way when it comes to being at the sales ground showing your horses we are with your horse just driving up down the road every day there's not a time that i don't look out and feel a responsibility to the sport the animal the people that come to invest in the game i want to see as many people enjoy this sport as they possibly can because we do have the most beautiful sport in the world 
The TDN Writer's Room is brought to you by Legacy Bloodstock. If you think 50 years of combined experience in the horse business could benefit your program, then give Tommy or Wendy a call. They personally advise you on each horse as if that horse were their own. And a reminder, the deadline for the Keeneland January sale is November 1. Legacy has sold 85% of their offerings for the last three years at that sale. So give Tommy or Wendy a shout or visit LegacyBloodstockLLC.com. Well, this week's Remy cartoon is in and it's thoroughbred makeover season. We just had these competitions going on. And how does that affect the psyche of a horse? Well, Remy has a horse on a therapist's couch saying to the therapist, they keep trying to make me over, looking kind of confused. So that's uh, Remy Bullock knocks it out of the park again with that cartoon. Well, that's a wrap for this week's show. I want to thank my co-hosts, Randy Moss and Zoe Cabin, Green Group guest of the week, Nick Luck as well as our producer, Patty Wolf, our assistant producer, our associate producer, I should say, Katie Bertuniak, our editors, Nathan Wilkinson, Aliyah LaRocca, Anthony LaRocca. That's it for another edition of TDN Writers Room. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.